0: We're going to take a a brief respite from Joshua, and we're going to go to Isaiah 53. We're going to go to Isaiah 53 because we are rapidly approaching the 14th of Nisan, which is the day the Passover lamb would be offered up. Fourteenth, Actually, we passed it, but... For our purposes this week, we're, we're coming to that point, that time. And one of the neat things as we look at it, we talked about on Sunday. Jesus Christ presented himself on the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD, to the priests to be examined for four days to decide whether or not he was a viable sacrifice. Every lamb would be brought to the priests at the same time. As Jesus was brought there, we know that he cleansed the temple He drove out the money changers and he began to be questioned. For the next four days, he's going to be questioned by the priests. He's going to be questioned by the Pharisees. He's going to be questioned by the scribes. He's going to be questioned by the Sadducees. He's going to be questioned by Pilate. He's going to be questioned by them all. And one sends him to another, sends him to another to find some wrong in him, some sin, some blemish, some spot. And ultimately, Pilate is going to have him crucified, but before he does, he's going to declare him innocent. He's going to declare him without spot, without blemish. Fulfilling that design that God has for the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb had to be without spot, without blemish, perfect. The Passover lamb, the one who put the blood on the doorposts in the Book of Exodus, right? The children of Israel would dip hyssop. Hyssop, it it kind of looks like a, a little bit bigger than a parsley plant. They dip it down in. It was almost like a paintbrush. Hyssop. They dip it in the blood, and they'd strike the doorpost. They were told to strike the doorpost, strike the doorpost on the side, and strike the doorpost on the top. And we know the sign that was made on every door when the blood was applied was a sign of a cross. The splatter of the blood would present a cross to everyone who walked by. Picturing the day when God would become Passover lamb. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22 we read uh, Abraham being told, kind of out of the blue, something strange. We never see God do this again, do we? Genesis chapter 22, there's something interesting about that chapter. The first time the word love is used in the Bible. Genesis chapter 22. And it's used of a father to his son. Agape. Agapeo. Abraham loved his Only begotten son. That's what God called him. And he was told by God, take the son, the son whom you love, to the mountain that I will show you, and there offer him as a burnt offering. Now, God never asked for human sacrifice before, had he? Something's going on, isn't it? the Bible tells us that Abraham rose up immediately and took his son and gathered together the the donkeys to make the, the journey, and they journeyed to a place called Mount Moriah. At the time, Mount Moriah didn't really have much on it. Later on, Mount Moriah would have smack dab close to the top a place we see pictures of anytime you look at Jerusalem. It's a picture of the Temple Mount. In fact, that holy site for Islam, the, the Dome of the Rock, is supposed to be the place where Abraham offered up his son, Ishmael. Oh, except the Bible says it was Isaac. They
1: say
0: yeah, they say Ishmael. So Mount Moriah to that place, they go to that place. And as they're, as they're going, what is Abraham? He turns, he turns to the young men who are with him and he says, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will return. You will, but Abraham, I thought you were going to, to offer your son as a sacrifice The Bible tells in the book of Hebrews that Abraham believed God so much in the promise that God made that through Isaac, his seed would be called. So through Isaac, the promise of Messiah was coming at some point. And if Isaac is dead and he's not married and he has no children, that can't happen. So God's going to do something. Hebrews said, Abraham believed even if I smite him, God's going to raise him from the dead. Isn't that an interesting concept? So he takes his son to the top of the mountain. He laid upon his son's back the wood for the fire. Remind us of somebody else who had to carry wood on his back to the place where he was to be offered. Up Mount Moriah they go. And as they get to to a certain point, the Lord says, this is it, Abraham. And so Abraham begins to prepare the altar. And his son looks at him and says, Dad, we have the the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham speaks prophetically. Don't miss this. Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb. Yahweh Yideh. God will provide. He says, In this mountain, it'll be provided. And so his son, of his own accord, lies on the altar, right? And we know Abraham raises up the blade of that knife. And God knows Abraham's heart. He doesn't wait. The knife's not coming down. He puts that knife up and God says, stop. (laughs) I bet Abraham was stoked. I bet Abraham was stoked at that moment. God said to Abraham, seeing how you have not withheld your son whom you love. Man, there's a lot of pictures there for us, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot. Abraham was willing to do this to his child, trusting God. More than his own mind screaming at him, this can't be really what God wants. But he trusted him. And he left for him a a ram in the thicket. And so Abraham goes and he takes that ram and he makes that ram a, a burnt offering. And it becomes a picture of a substitute sacrifice. You'll remember in the tabernacle, one of the skins that covered the tabernacle was a ram's skin dyed red. The substitute sacrifice pictured By the ram that gave its life so that we would see Isaac set free. But listen, when you read the story in Genesis 22, you will not see or hear Isaac's name again for three days. Then all of a sudden, when it's time for him to take a bride, there he is again. A lot of scholars point to that and say this is where the Lord was illustrating the fact that Jesus would be dead for three days. Though Isaac was alive, he is absent from the pages of Scripture. And then he appears when he is going to take for himself a bride. Jesus Christ from the cross as that spear pierces his side, out from his side flows what? Blood and water, right? Blood and water, the very same materials that flow when something is being birthed. Adam, the first Adam, God had him fall into a deep sleep and took out of his side woman. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, birthed something as well. The same, th- same thing the first Adam did. The first Adam gave birth to What? a bride the second adam gave birth to a bride his bride the church born from the pierced side if you will of christ on the cross isaac three days not mentioned until he takes his bride who goes and gets the bride for him an unnamed servant the unnamed servant just like the Holy Spirit drawing the bride to Christ. So many pictures in Scripture as we take a look. But as we come to this time, when we see all these things kind of coming together, I like, my favorite of them all is Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 to me is the holy of holies of what God is promising to do. No question about it. You don't have to wonder what he's talking about. You don't have to have a degree in, in uh, Hebrew to understand the words that he's using. He lays out for us, beginning in chapter 52, verse 13. Keep in mind when we look at this, the chapter and verse divisions aren't there. We put those in so we can find our way. But as we take a look, this thought begins in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. My servant, capital, my servant. He's speaking about Jesus Christ, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah. My servant will deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. The ultimate exaltation for he who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, who humbled himself, is now the name that is above how many names? names? Every name. That is name. That's a lot of names. His name is above every name. Exalted. Verse fourteen. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. That phrase speaks of a massive disfigurement of his face. That if you saw his face, you would not recognize the that as human being. The, the beating that, would, that he would take. The scourging that would come upon him. And his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Listen, how many of you guys had an opportunity to come to the Passover Seder last night? If you had a chance, I want you to remember a point in the Passover Seder. We're reading the plagues and we dip our finger in the in the juice and then we sprinkle it on the napkin. You remember when we did that? The priest was called during the Passover the offering of the lamb to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times in front of the mercy seat in the veil the, where the where the, uh, where the Golden table was set. Seven times he would sprinkle. Seven times. Speaking of that complete covering by the blood of the Lamb of the sins of the people. That complete covering. That complete deliverance. That complete redemption. Here it says that the Messiah, Jesus Christ... ...was to sprinkle many nations. That same concept. That word sprinkle, the very same thing used in Psalms... ...when David says, create in me a clean heart. Purge me, he says, with hyssop. What was hyssop? That's what they dipped. And that's how they sprinkled. They dipped the hyssop and sprinkled. So here he says, Jesus Christ, the one who would offer himself, the Messiah... ...he will sprinkle many nations... Not just the nation of Israel, right? Many nations. The Bible lays out for us, for God so loved who? The world. The world, that he, his only begotten son, that how many? Yes. Whosoever believed would not perish, but have how long? Everlasting. Everlasting life. Okay, so when we look at it, we see, we recognize, we understand. The purpose of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was greater in scope than just the nation of Israel. And we're told that. In Isaiah. 52 and 53. He's going to sprinkle many nations. And then listen. Kings. Will shut their mouth. At him. Right now. Kings flap their gums at him. They will not always. They will not always. Always. As we look in Isaiah 52 and 53, what we see is what's going to be wrought by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross and what will be ultimately accomplished when we see him face to face. When he returns, let there be no question, Revelation chapter 19 is going to come. Everybody agrees. Jesus Christ will come back. He is Going to return. And on that day when all the nations of the world turn and they see the return of Jesus Christ with all of his saints coming with him. Kings will shut their mouth. They will have nothing to say. They'll be utterly blown away. And not only that, Isaiah says the concept at the concept that almighty god would come in the flesh and die on the cross for you and me. There's no other story like that out there. Allah did not die for the people. He did not. When I was in Israel one of the one of the bookstores we went through had several books that were there for for uh, um, defending Islam. And one of the things they said in those books over and over and over again is, how weak is a God who would die for his people? It's a totally different point of view. Buddha did not die for the people. And I'm not talking about me. (laughs) Buddha did not die for the people. Listen, Jesus Christ, he did. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. He. The idea is is amazing. It blows people's minds. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will consider. They're going to be blown away by what God has done. And then he says, who has believed our report? Who's going to believe it? Who would believe it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is the arm of salvation. All throughout Scripture, it talks about God's arm mighty to save. That work of salvation that God wrought. So, to whom has this arm of salvation of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up before him as a tender plant. Listen, here's kind of the cool thing. One Point in the hebrew that means in a literal literal sense that he's going to be human that he's going to put on flesh that word's used only one other place one other chapter in the whole bible it is used in genesis 22 of the offering speaking of isaac uh, and abraham same place it's used and he will be a root out of dry ground. It will be a dry time. Why was it a dry time? Because listen, God had brought his prophets to the to the nation of Israel. And the last prophet had spoken over 400 years earlier. And it was over. He promised the final words of that prophet was a curse on the people. Malachi, last chapter, last verse, pronounces a curse. And 400 years of silence. 400 years, the glory had departed. 400 years, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and God wasn't there. 400 years, men looked up and wanted to hear from the Lord, but God was quiet until the glory returned. And when his glory returned to the temple, what did he do? He cleaned it up. He chased out the money changers. Zeal for your house is burning your heart, the disciples said, about Jesus as he came and he drove out those money changers. Here he comes. He comes to that place in a dry time when God hasn't spoken. He has no form or comeliness. And when when we see him, there's no beauty that we would desire him. People draw a lot of pictures of Jesus. A lot of paintings i like them all i i have one in my office probably one of my favorites a lot of pictures of jesus and that is cool but whenever those things are drawn or whenever he's depicted there's always something in that painting that attracts us to him but the bible says in the only physical description of jesus christ in the bible the bible says you wouldn't have looked at him twice there was nothing that would have put your eye on him There was nothing that would make him uglier or or more handsome. Was just like another guy. Was just another guy. Was not somebody who stuck out at all. Not someone who stuck out until he began to speak. Until he began to touch lives. Until he began to move. Then. Everything changed. I want you to consider this. Jacob fell in love with which of his wives? He had two wives, right? He fell in love with Rachel. Why? She was beautiful. What happened to Leah? She
1: had plain eyes.
0: She had plain eyes. She was plain Jane. And she lived her whole life in that relationship with Jacob, always desiring a love that never really came, for he had eyes for Rachel. Rachel. But in the end, Leah is buried with him in the cave of Machpelah that you can, by the way, go to today and see where Abraham is buried, Isaac is buried, Jacob, Leah, all buried in that place. Why was Leah buried in that place of honor with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca, and why, why in that place? because she had no form or comeliness, she didn't stick out. we know God loves plain people why he made a lot of them
1: <laughs>
0: he made a lot listen he didn't stick out from the crowd he was he was nothing special in his appearance, but verse three says. But he was despised and rejected by men. Literally, it's the concept that he's dismissed. The people are like, ah, ah, no big deal. You know, he's just, he's just dismissed. He's, he's mocked. He's, he's looked down upon. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Is he a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Because he came to be our sorrow, to take our grief. So he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because that's what he bears. He is the ultimate burden bearer, right? Does he call us to bear our own burdens? He tells us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He is the burden bearer. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief because that's what he came to do, to carry ours, to take our grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Wouldn't look at him. Oftentimes when I consider that, that time, when I go to Israel and I have a chance to walk down the Via Della Rosa, which is the, the way of the cross. And you walk down and you realize, as he was walking through, the streets are much like they were at the time of Christ, even still. You can almost reach across and touch the buildings on either side. It's not a very broad street. Thronged with people, people coming, people going, cars driving by. It's amazing. I don't know how they get through, but they find a way to get through. But as you walk through there, Scripture says we hid as it were our faces from him. Nobody wanted to look Jesus in the eyes. They did not want to look him in the eyes. Get that eyes of a flame of fire, you know, look right down into your soul. And maybe you think, oh, when I see Jesus, I'm going to think of a really good question to ask him. So the rich young ruler, when he saw Jesus, he said, "Uh -uh, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I've done that since my youth. Really? One thing you lack, Jesus said. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And come follow me. And the rich man left. Sorrowful. We hid as it were our faces from him. Not desiring to draw near. Not desiring to come to that place where, where we would look into the eyes of Christ. Not desiring to look at his face. in the day of the crucifixion as he's brought through the streets. With a face that is marred more than any has ever been. The beating that he sustained. I sat in the praetorium. I've seen the king's game. Scratched in the stone. Where they played that game with Jesus. Where they cast lots. Rolled dice. And they moved around this pie shaped uh, uh, carving. And each space they landed on was another thing. Maybe they put a scarlet robe on his back. Sound familiar? Or a crown of thorns on his head. Or a bag over his head, and they'd punch him and say, Prophesy, which one of us hit you? The game is there. You can go and see it yourself. You can stand on the stone that is not a stone like it, but the stone where Jesus bled. It's not some pie in the sky. It's real. It's there. We hid, as it were, our faces from. Didn't want to look in his eyes. Didn't want to look upon him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We did not give value to him. Whenever, Whenever I go through this, as I look at the Holy of Holies of the Prophets, as I go through this scripture, I think, I think, man, if I'd have been there, I would have esteemed him. And then God whispers in my ear, yeah? Do you esteem him now? Esteem means you give him value. Does he have the most value in your life now? Is he above everything else? Like the rich young ruler. If God was to whisper in your ear, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, would you walk away sorrowful? Now, Isaiah 53, I love that that Isaiah the prophet says, we. He puts himself in there. He puts me in there. He puts you in there. We didn't esteem him. We don't always value what he has done for us. But surely... He has borne whose griefs? Our griefs. Whose sorrows? Our sorrows. He took them. So stop taking them back. They never were yours to carry in the first place. He took them all. Everything. And if we will submit as he did in the garden of Gethsemane and say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, yours be done. You're doing something in my life, whatever sorrow, grief, hardship is going on. If we'll submit to that, just like Abraham raising the knife, we're allowing God to do the work he wants to do in our heart. Or we can go down kicking and scratching the whole way. There's peace that Jesus gives, that surpasses understanding, but that peace comes when we submit. Kicking and screaming, no peace. Won't have peace. Lay it at his feet, let him be the burden bearer, let him carry the the burdens, let him carry the griefs, let him carry the sorrows. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. See, this is what people think, guys. They looked at Jesus and said... God would never do that to his own son. Can't be God's son. Now people look at the world and they say, there can't be a God. Look at all the suffering. Look at all the hardship. Look at all the things that happen to good people. Are we looking at two different pictures here? Because if God did that, with his son, why, why would we think when Jesus said, take your cross and follow me, somehow the world would treat us better? Or that things would be easier? Or that life would be a bowl of cherries without no pits? It's not going to happen. We ne- he didn't promise us any of that. And again... I'm reminded of the illustration of Francis Chan that our life is a string stretching from here to eternity. That's how long that life is going to last. And the life we spend here in all this misery is a dot on the string. And we think that dot is the end-all, beat-all. It's not. It's a dot, but that dot affects the rest of the string. Where that string will spend eternity... What we will do in eternity, our place with the Lord Jesus Christ, even beyond salvation, will be decided by that dot. By that dot. That's why Paul said, for I do not consider it worthy to be compared this present suffering with the glory which shall be revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we take our life, that dot, and we stand before Almighty God and we see His face and He throws His arms around us, you know what? You're not going to be wondering about how come, you know, you never had any money or how come, you know, nobody ever loved you like you felt like they should or why life had to be so hard. You're not going to think about any of those things. I swear to you, you will not think about them. All you're going to think about is that The creator of the universe loves me. Me. He's not looking at anybody else. He's looking at me right now. He's got his arms around me right now. He's whispering in my ear. I love you. You matter to me. And you and I will never be apart again. I don't think we'll think about any of that other stuff. I don't think any of those other things will come to mind. They looked at Jesus and they said, He must be hated of God. But God loves His Son. We esteemed Him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. God can't love Him. But we do not have the ability to understand what's good and what's bad. We don't. Adam and Eve bought the lie of the devil and ate whatever the fruit was and thought they knew from that point forward, man thinks he knows what he's doing. How's he doing so far? Only like $14 trillion in debt. I'm sure we'll pull ourselves out of that, right? It's got to get better. I mean, it has to turn around, right? Because if it doesn't turn around, then we'll just keep going down. It's happened before, hasn't it? Hmm. He was loved of God, and he was receiving from the Lord the requirement for our sin. In a moment, we're going to read that God was pleased to bruise him, to buy us. That's... That's an amazing thought. Just to think that God wants to know you so much, to have a relationship with you so much, that it pleased him the things that were done by his son so that he would have that relationship. That's amazing. But he was wounded for whose transgression? Our transgression. He was bruised for... Whose iniquity, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes, that's why I love the matzah. The matzah that the Jews still make matzah today the same way they've always made matzah that unleavened bread and the way they cook the matzah it, it puts stripes in it. There's stripes in it, and there's square holes. The square holes speak of the nail prints that were in Jesus' hands. The stripes are the stripes that were laid upon his back. And by his stripes, because of that chastisement, because of what Jesus suffered, we're made clean. We can have a relationship with God. We can enter boldly into the throne room of grace. Because he never opened up his mouth. Listen. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. How many? All. So before you lump yourself in a category that says, I have never been astray, you are in contradiction with the word of God, which says, all we have gone astray. We have turned... Everyone to his own way. What happens in the book of Judges? God brings the children of Israel. Joshua leads them into the victory. They have the land. They get the inheritance. Everything looks good. What happens? There was no king in Israel in those days. And every man did what was right. Where? In his own eyes. In his own eyes. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. That's why God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean in your own understanding. In everything you do, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. If we esteem Him, that's a relationship we have with Him day by day. If we value what God has done, what Jesus has wrought, That's the relationship we have. It's not my plans. It's not my my ideas. It's not my 10-year design on how I will never have to worry and I'll be able to retire. Listen, God doesn't have a retirement. You saw Moses, right? Moses, 120 years old. Did God say, Moses, take these last 20 years and just take it easy? No. God said... Moses, i got a few more battles for you to fight, and then you're going to die. Man, Lord, I mean, I've been serving you for 40 years. Yeah, it's all good, brother. Because when we enter into Christ, we enter into our rest. Our rest is where? In Him. In Him. He is our Sabbath rest. He is... The rest that we need as we come to him. Each of us has turned our own way. So the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who put Jesus on a cross? We did. Our iniquity. Our sin. Every one of us. And he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us laid upon Jesus Christ at the cross. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now there are a lot of folks that talk about the scourging of Jesus Christ being 39 lashes. 39 lashes speaks of mercy and it's written in the book of Leviticus. It is a Jewish law Not Roman. Romans were never known for their mercy. Romans were known for their brutality. A Roman would beat you until you confessed. And when you confessed, he would lighten up. If he wanted several confessions, he would continue to beat you. And upon each confession of sin, of wrongdoing, he would lighten up, lighten up, lighten up. It was amazing how many guys would confess during the scourging, but the scripture says Jesus opened not his mouth. One of the scenes that I love of on the on the you guys know what I'm talking about. What am I talking about? Passion of the Christ. Man, is uh, Jesus as is he, is he comes to the. To that, uh, stone, which is exactly how the Romans would do it. In fact, when you go to Corinth today, that same stone, which is a stone where, where Paul would have received his lashes, um, is there today. They, with a little ringlet on top and they chain your hands to that and you would stand there bareback and they beat you till you fell down and then they beat you while you're on the ground. One of the things that I love about the passion is when they first come out and you notice they're, they're following the, the, Uh, preconceived ideal that there was going to be a a numbered amount of lashes. And as they're beating him, what you see them doing is beating him with rods. He would be beaten with rods, that softens up the skin, begins to bruise and break it, so that when the cat of nine tails hits, there's things that can be ripped apart. And when they beat him and he drops to the ground and he drops to his knees and and he's laying up there against that pillar and they stop and they're looking at him and the Romans are tired, they're beating him. Because that's what they do. They wear themselves out, beating him. And then Jesus stands up. Why? Because he's got to bear it all. Not just the sin of the Romans. Not just the sins of the Jews. Not just the sins for you and me. All the world. The Bible says... There's some mystery in the suffering of Christ that he was crucified before the foundation of the world. There's more to it than the few hours we see or we understand or we think about when we think about the crucifixion. That would have occurred at a time like this. This time, this, about this period of the week. The arrest would happen, the, the trial would go on, the scourging would take place. Now after the rods, they would beat him with a cat of nine tails, with bone and rock in it. And you couldn't make a movie that could show you that, that you could watch. I couldn't watch the one. Most of us couldn't. Most of us couldn't sit and watch the meeting. At some point, you're like, oh, just stop. When that movie came out, we uh, bought a theater Bought it out and gave away the tickets uh, to Marines that were going to Iraq, and they come over and got a chance to watch a movie. And everybody went in the same way, man. They went in laughing and talking and carrying popcorn and sodas into the theater. Every single one of them coming the same way, you know. And then we would go through and clean out the theater after the movie was over, and everybody walked out the same way. Nobody talked. There were full. Buckets of popcorn sitting in the theater, and full sodas. they were just blown away by what they saw. And it's falls short. It falls short of the reality of what Jesus bore, and why? What was the point? What was the purpose of that? So that he would gain you as a trophy of grace for you. For me. For the soldiers that beat him. For the ones that drove the nails in his hands. It was all for us. For us all. For each and every one of us. And yet he was silent. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Verse 8 means he will not get a fair trial. How did Isaiah know that? How did Isaiah know that they are going to rush him through at night? When most of the Sanhedrin wasn't present. You know, today with boards, we have something called a quorum. There has to be so many people available. You don't have to have everybody on the board present to make something happen. You have to have a quorum. It was the same way with the Sanhedrin. The, the, there were 70 ruling within it. But I, you can bet they didn't wait till they had all 70. All they needed was the quorum. And that quorum was built around the guys who wanted to see him crucified. The next morning, by the time all those other guys, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and the people who were following Jesus from the Sanhedrin, by the time they got up in the morning, he was already headed to the cross. He was already on his way. They took him from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation, for he is cut off from the land of the living. Same phrase used, Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty-six. Which told us the day Jesus Christ would present himself in Jerusalem, April 6, 32 AD. And then it says, Messiah will be karat, cut off, put to death for someone else's sins, not for his own. Messiah would be cut off. Here he says, He will be cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. How did Isaiah know this? They made his grave with the wicked. When it says they made his grave, literally what it means is he would die with the wicked. Who did he die with? Two thieves. One on each side. He died... With the wicked. He was numbered with the transgressor. He died between two thieves. When he came into his glory. You remember when. James and John's mom came to Jesus and said. Lord when you come to your glory. Let my sons be on your right hand. And on your left. You remember. And Jesus said. Can they drink of the cup that I will drink. It's not up to me who will be on my right and on my left. That falls to the hands of the Father. But truly, they will drink the cup that I drink. And they they would. But they they didn't have any idea what they were asking for, did they? When Jesus came into his glory, two thieves, one on the right, one on the left, on a cross, being crucified. How did Isaiah know? How did Isaiah know that that's how it was going to happen? Not only would he die with the wicked, and by the way, the word wicked is plural, so there would be more than one, two thieves. But with the rich at his death. Oh, that's singular. One rich guy. He's going to be buried in one rich guy's tomb. What was his name? We know it, don't we? Joseph of Arimathea. He was buried in... How did Isaiah know? Jesus is not born. Isaiah wrote this... This is in print, in the Bible, when the Bible is first translated, the first time it's translated in 270 B.C. Jesus doesn't come along and reach this point until 32 A.D. So at the best, and Isaiah, by the way, was written long before that. At best, you have 300 years from the time Isaiah was placed in the Bible. To the time Jesus Christ came on the same day Daniel said he would, crucified between two thieves with the wicked, and buried in a rich man's tomb. How do you know that? Because to God, it's not future, it's history. It's all history to God. He's just telling us the history. Because he had done no violence nor was deceit in his mouth. Listen, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He becomes that sin offering. That offering that buys redemption, that picture of the Passover lamb paying the price. Paying the price, setting us free, He becomes an offering. But the the thing that that blows us away is literally it says God has exuberance at the result of the suffering of Christ. He's has exuberance Uh, in today's in my speak. He's stoked. He's stoked about what Jesus wrought through His suffering, what Jesus bought through His suffering what was accomplished through his suffering. And I think that God feels the same way in our lives when we go through suffering at what that suffering does in our life, what it accomplishes. It brings perseverance, character, hope. Hope does not disappoint for the love of God is poured out in our life through the Holy Spirit. Listen, there are things that are being accomplished in our life. And God happily allows them for the fruit that comes through. It's important to realize that we're called to bear fruit. You remember what Jesus did to that fig tree that had no fruit? When he came to Jerusalem, he looked up on that fig tree and he said, you're supposed to have fruit. And he spoke a word and it withered right there to nothing fruitlessness we want to bear fruit we want to bear fruit we want to have our time in gethsemane where we like jesus submit our will to his but he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord will prosper in his hand he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Then he says, not only is he going to go through all this suffering, but he's going to see what is bought, what is purchased, what is claimed as a result. He's not going to cease to exist. He's going to look in your eyes and mine. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Come home. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Jesus, accomplishing all these things. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He will be exalted and extolled. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. He became that drink offering. He was poured out for us. He was numbered with the transgressors. Plural. Two thieves. And he bore the sin of many. The world. And made intercession for the transgressors. Father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus accomplished. And, and as we consider that, as we think about that, as we, as we wonder about what it is that, that God has done and what, what God accomplished, even as we read what the prophet lays out for us, we want to know, Lord, what was, what was going through your mind What were you thinking while you were nailed on the cross? We hear your words. The psalmist wrote them down for us in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, David wrote 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. The words Jesus spoke from the cross. You know how a rabbi would instruct his students? He would say a phrase from somewhere in the Bible. And the students were then required to take that phrase and go find it. Where is it? What's he talking about? What does he mean? So Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we look at Psalm 22. Well, let's see. If it was just random then there would be nothing in here that would say anything about crucifixion, right? Because David wrote this 800 years before crucifixion was invented. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime. And you do not hear it in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you delivered. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They stick out their lip. They shake their head and they say, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's the words of those who walked by the cross in Matthew 27, 43. As they looked at Jesus on the cross and they said, He trusted in God. Let God save him. But you are the one, you are he who took me out of the womb. And you made me to trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb, You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Bashan, Bashan, Numbers. Numbers tells us that Og, the king of Bashan, was acquainted or affiliated with the Nephilim, the fallen ones of Genesis chapter 6. That that It speaks of some type of demonic activity. So when He says, strong bowls of bashan have encircled Me, it's as though He's saying, I see the demons wrapped all around Me as I hang on the cross. They're all around Me. I look, I see them, they're here. They gape at Me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. For your accuser walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. I am poured out like water. One of the things that would be accomplished in the crucifixion is a massive dehydration. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. You know, it's awful hard driving those nails through fresh piece of wood so much easier when you use the hole that's already there. But not everybody's arms are the same distance apart, are they? Don't worry, we can get it there. And the result of hanging with all your weight on your shoulders spread out is your shoulders will come out of joint. And you can't pull up with your arms. You have to push up. With your legs, my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. When you think about wax melting, would you think about blood and water coming out of the side of Christ as his side is pierced? My heart is melted within me. What do he die of? A broken heart. A broken heart. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. I thirst you have brought me to the dust of death for the dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked have encircled me they pierced my hands and my feet 800 years before crucifixion was invented David wrote that Jesus quoted from it today we read they pierced my hands and my feet I I can count all my bones. How did David know they weren't going to break any of his bones? What were the Romans ordered to do? Break their legs so that they would die. But when they came to Jesus, what did they do? They didn't break his legs. They pierced his side. Not one bone was broken. Why was it so important that the Passover lamb did not have a broken bone? Because blood is developed in the marrow of the bone. And a broken bone speaks of there being a limited amount of blood for the sacrifice. The bone being whole means there will always be enough blood. So God said, don't break a bone on the Passover lamb. The psalmist writes in Psalm 22, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. But you answered and said, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All the descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when He cried to Him, He heard. we come to the end of Psalm 22... We come to another section of Scripture, don't we? Psalm 23, one of the first psalms David ever wrote, where he declares, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, As we look at the crucifixion of the gospel, that every single point of it was spoken of in Scripture. It's in Isaiah 53. It's in Psalm 22. It's in Genesis 22. It's in Leviticus 13. Jesus went so far as to say, it's on every page of the Old Testament. The sacrifice that he would give. But listen, not just to focus on the sacrifice, right? The, the sacrifice was offered on Passover, on the 14th of Nisan. But then the 17th of Nisan was another feast. It was called the Feast of the fruits, where you celebrated the harvest, the first harvest that came in. Bible says... That he is, Jesus Christ, is our first fruits. He is the first fruit of the dead. He rose never to die again. But he bears in his body those marks for eternity. At least until the end of recorded time. We know that from Revelation chapter 6, don't we? Revelation chapter 6 or chapter 5, actually chapter 5. They have the 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 seals, the 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 scroll, the seven seals written on the front and behind a, a title deed to the planet earth and they need to find someone who's who's able to open it, but that person has to be kin. He has to be a redeemer, he has to be willing, he has to be able He has to be able to pay the price that's written on the back, the requirement to purchase the property out of bankruptcy. And the Bible tells John wept because no one was found worthy. And then one of the elders taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, 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 don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He can open the seals. And John turned and looked and saw the lamb as though it had been slaughtered. When Jesus rose from the dead and Thomas was having his little struggle, Jesus said, Thomas, put your hand in my side. What does that mean? It means the hole's still there. He said, put your fingers in my hands. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. He bears in his body the love he has for you and me. We won't doubt it when we see him. We won't doubt it at all. And praise God, as we come to this time of the year, we are cause to remember Amen. that this is what he did for me. Amen? will Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for Just an opportunity to look through the Old Testament Scriptures to see, God, you writing on the pages telling us what's going to happen before it happens. From Genesis to Revelation, you lay it all out. God, just cause us to remember, to esteem, to value the sacrifice you made. For Hebrews tells us, we turn our back on that sacrifice there is nothing else that will save there is no other hope God as we see Lord Jesus you said in the gospel of John that as many as received him to them you gave the power to become sons of God and that's Well, we thank you for the opportunity to be sons of God. That we're adopted into the family by faith. That we become children of Abraham because we follow his example, the example of trusting you, putting our faith in you. God, be glorified in this season, Lord, as day by day we're reminded what this this time speaks of. That now it's dark and the skies are dark. And they're pulling the body of Christ off a cross and they're going to wrap him up and place him in the ground. And they think everything is over. But in three days, in three days, you're going to do what you told them you would do, but they never heard. You will rise again the Bible says you rose for my justification so that I would know that now it's just as if I never did it. You made me clean. And you told me and anyone who would hear hundreds of years before it was even thought of by man what you were going to do. Your word is alive and powerful and true, and we can bank on it. God, help us to make that the rule of our life, that we hold to your word. Father, we want to give you praise and glory, honor you for all that you've done, Lord. We pray, God, this time our world's upside down, just like you said it would be. There will be wars and rumors of war. Pestilence and famine in various places. Earthquakes in various places. Natural disasters all around. But you said the end is not yet. This is the beginning of birth pangs. The beginning of sorrows. But we have a job to do. To be those who occupy until you call us home. So may we live every day bringing honor to you for what you have done for us until we see you face to face. May we fight the good fight. May we keep the faith. May we finish our race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in a time of worship, invite you to hang out and worship with us and look forward to fellowshipping with you out front. God bless you guys. Go in peace.
1: And said, healed nation, stretched out on a tree, took the nails for me.